0: All praises to Allah and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon Prophet Muhammad and upon his family and companions and all who follow him until the Day of Judgment. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Journey Through the Quran by Ikna Sisters. At times we become so engrossed in our lives, so preoccupied with fulfilling the daily demands of our families that the images of the Day of Judgment and the Hereafter fade from our minds. And this is normal. In fact, the Arabic word for human, insan, comes from the root word to forget. And this underlines a truth about our nature, that we often forget that our existence is temporary, that it has its beginning and its end with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have a creator, and he is the one who we will return to and answer to after our deaths. The Prophet once said, If your hearts were always in the state that they are in during dhikr, the angels would come to see you to the point that they would greet you in the middle of the road. Sahih Muslim Even though it's not possible or even required for us to maintain that state of perfect remembrance, it is important not to remain in a state of forgetfulness. In Surah Al-Dhariyat, right at the beginning of Juz 27, the Prophet ﷺ is told, And so remind for indeed reminders benefit the believers. This is because believers pay attention to the reminders and come out of that state of forgetfulness and get themselves back on track. In this juz, juz 27, we find many such reminders through the vivid descriptions of the day of judgment as well as the afterlife in heaven or hell. These serve as warnings for the disbelievers and as reminders and glad tidings for the believers. In this juz, Details such as the destruction of the heavens, the violent shaking of the earth, and the disappearance of the mountains as they crumble to dust on the Day of Judgment are stated in powerful and direct ways that make it clear that the Day of Judgment is a reality that will definitely come to pass, and that the regret that will be felt by a person who wasted this life in disbelief is real. And that reality will be so clear and so undeniable that they will not be able to make any of the excuses that they used to make for their disbelief in this life. That the effect of the Quran is due to magic, or that the Prophet came up with the Quran himself, or that he's a madman or a fortune teller and everything else that they used to say. And in fact, their mouths will be sealed so that they won't be able to make any excuses and their body parts will bear witness to their deeds. Surah Najm supports the Prophet ﷺ against his enemies and emphatically rejects all the accusations that the disbelievers made against Muhammad, ﷺ, that he's misguided or deluded or speaks of his own desires. It affirms that whatever he sallallahu alayhi says is in fact revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the angel Jibrail alayhi And whatever he tells of his experiences regarding the revelation of the Qur'an must be believed because he is telling the truth. However, if despite everything the disbelievers still choose to uh, disbelieve, the Prophet is told to turn away from them and to leave them to their fate. Because the fact of the matter is, is that they are the ones who are astray, they are the ones who are deluded and are following their own desires. The fact is that the disbelievers do not even consistently follow their own ideas. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala points out that according to them, daughters were a source of shame, and they themselves preferred to have sons. Despite this, they claimed that angels were the daughters of Allah. So either daughters were not a source of shame because Allah had daughters according to them, or they should not attribute to Allah something that they themselves found shameful. Of course, as Muslims, we reject that Allah could have any children, daughters or sons, because he is exalted above such things. And we don't believe that daughters or sons, either of them, have a preference over the other. So in response to all their false claims about the Prophet wasallam and about Allah, the Qur'an challenges them to come up with a recitation that could rival the Qur'an. If it really is written by Muhammad wasallam, whom they call the poet, then others should be able to compete with it. So they tried, but of course they failed. Unfortunately, their failure did not guide them, and they continued to mock the message. They said, let's wait and see what happens. Will the Day of Judgment come to pass the way that Muhammad says it will? They refused to think about it critically, and they lacked the commitment to take the actions that were necessary to change their lives in preparation for it. They wasted their lives in meaningless things, they lost themselves in the temporary enjoyments of this life, and they didn't realize that the permanence and the greatness of the rewards of the hereafter would make everything that pulled them away from Allah in this life seem absolutely meaningless. As believers in the Day of Judgment, we need to make sure that we protect ourselves from falling into the same mistakes as those who deny the Day of Judgment. The disbelievers are told to consider how powerless they are in reality and that all power and control in fact belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to him. The sun and the moon run the course that was appointed by him. And he is the Rabbu Sha'ra, the Lord of Sha'ra. And Sha'ra was the name of a bright star that was worshipped by the disbelievers. So it's like they're being told, don't worship Sha'ra, worship the Lord of Sha'ra. And Allah is the one who causes us to laugh and cry. He gives us life and death. He created us out of clay and he created the jinn from a smokeless fire. And all he has to do is simply give the command and whatever he wills will come to be. Now in contrast to Allah's might, the disbelievers are told to consider how little they control. They don't control their own creation or even the creation of their children. Even the seed that the man ejects is created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just consider how amazing it is that a human being comes from this fluid. How vastly different this stage is from the fully formed human being that results from it. If Allah can do that, then He can definitely create us again in a form that we as yet cannot understand. They are also powerless to cause the crops to grow out of the ground and just as unable to make it rain from the sky. It's interesting to note that crops grow from beneath the earth, which is the lowest point, and rain comes down from the sky, which is the highest point. These two verses encompass everything on earth, to show them that they don't have control over any of it. And this includes the trees that they used as fuel for fire, fire which is essential for so many aspects of life, like warmth and light and cooking. They don't have any control over Allah's treasures, rather he is the one who gives his blessings freely to whomever he wills, and he limits his blessings to others. So if the disbelievers are enjoying prosperity, it is because Allah wills it for them. The believers understand that to Allah belongs everything in the heavens and earth, and so they spend in his path, knowing that wealth is a test. They are also content knowing that whatever Allah will give them in return for spending in his path, will be far greater. And finally, they don't control destiny, whether it's their own destiny or anyone else's destiny. And they don't have any knowledge of the unseen. They have no control over their future. They don't even know what's in store for them. They should realize all of this while they're still in this world so that their arrogance does not get in the way of them seeing the truth. Because although the truth will be clear on the day of judgment, it will not be of any benefit to believe then because it will be too late." Now what is the reason that despite all the proofs given by the Qur'an, the disbelievers stuck to their stubborn refusal to believe? Surah an najm exposes their goal behind attaining knowledge, which was not to reach the truth but was rather limited to acquiring worldly benefit. And that's why anything that did not appear to yield worldly benefit was not taken seriously by them. Surah tur points out that the Prophet ﷺ never asked them to give him their wealth in exchange for what he was preaching to them. However, even though they didn't willingly listen to the Qur'an and didn't want to accept it, the Qur'an did have a powerful effect on them. On one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Al-Najm while many of the leaders of the disbelievers were seated around him. When he finished, and Surah Al-Najm ends with a verse of Sajdah, Everyone in the gathering, including the disbelievers, fell into prostration. Because of this, some people who saw them started to say that the Meccans had accepted Islam. This was such an amazing incident that news of it spread quickly and even the Muslims who had migrated to Abyssinia heard about it. Some of them even came back to Mecca believing that the report was true. The Meccans felt confident and secure in their power. They didn't believe that anyone could challenge them. Stories of the past nations also drive home the point that the ultimate source of power is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He destroyed the disbelieving nations of the past of Nuh, Ad, Thamud, Fir'aun, and Lut, and this was despite their numbers and their apparent power. When corruption is widespread, it may seem that nothing can challenge it. Certain ideas, when they're endorsed by popular or powerful people, seem to gain legitimacy simply because many people are voicing their support, or because not enough people are speaking out against them. And these ideas could be anything. uh, Deviation in matters of worship, such as the nation of Nuh who started to worship idols, and even after being called to the right way for 950 years, did not listen. Or it could be financial corruption, and the hard-hearted cruelty that comes with it. As seen in the nation of Thamud, the people of Saleh, when they viciously killed the miraculous she camel that was given to them as a sign from Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or it could be condoning homosexual behavior uh, and indulging in it, as by the people of Lut. Salam. Or it could be excessive arrogance, like Fir'aun, who was so deluded by his own strength that he considered himself at the level of God. Despite their apparent power, All of these people were destroyed because no matter how well we humans learn to manipulate our environment and gain material advancement and prosperity, certain things will always remain outside of our control. In our current time, we can feel the power of this truth as the entire world struggles with the coronavirus and we watch even strong nations brought to their knees We see panic and fear in some people, and denial and heedlessness in others. And so time goes on, and certain aspects of the world change, but really people stay the same, and the message of the Quran remains relevant. As such, the question that faces us is which side do we wish to associate ourselves with? The side that accepts divine revelation and attempts to live by it, or the side that rejects it and fights against it? In Surah Al-Rahman, Allah wa ta'ala tells us, The Most Merciful has taught the Qur'an, created insan, and taught him how to speak. Now, logically, it would make sense to mention teaching the Qur'an after mentioning the creation of insan. However, the order is changed, and the Qur'an is mentioned first to emphasize the significance of this gift, which overshadows all the other gifts that were given to us by Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah Qamr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeatedly reminds us, we have made the Qur'an easy to remember, so is there anyone who will take it to heart? This Qur'an is the miracle by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes people out from darkness and brings them into the light. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it the light of our hearts and let us live by it. Ameen. Personal responsibility and accountability for actions is greatly emphasized by the Qur'an. Everyone will bear the burden of their own deeds. No one will get anything other than what they have earned. Everything, whether it is big or small, is recorded. No good deed will go wasted, and no bad deed will go unpunished, except by the mercy of Allah. The disbelievers' torment is described in this juz in the most horrific terms. They will be thrown into a place of devastation and scorching fire, a place where there is no respite from misery, and where they will suffer the discomfort of unbearable heat. Their food and drink will be unappetizing and not at all nourishing. Zakum refers to a thorny, bitter fruit that grows from the bottom of hell that the disbelievers will be given to eat. Along with this, they will be given a scalding hot drink. Even though they, they will unwillingly eat and drink this out of desperation, it will not remove their hunger or thirst. In contrast to the bleak misery that is described for the disbelievers, the believers will be returned to their youthful age. They will be reunited with their loved ones and surrounded with companions that bring them joy. They will not suffer any sickness or discomfort. They will be in gardens of bliss, lush gardens beneath which rivers flow and where delicious fruit will be abundant. They will enjoy the rewards of material comforts such as good food, delicious drinks, and beautiful surroundings and good company. They will not suffer, and they will not have to worry about lacking anything. They will be completely peaceful, blissful, and comfortable in their surroundings. Amongst the righteous, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes an elite category who are the Sabiqun, those who are force, uh, foremost in doing good. Most of the people in this category are from amongst the earlier generations. However, there are some from later generations who fall into this category as well. Sabiqun literally means those who are racing. These people are so eager to earn Allah's pleasure that they are competing with one another. They are trying to outdo the other in good deeds, but at the same time, they are guarding their intentions from being corrupted. And what does it mean um, if someone's intention is corrupted? Well, that person is not doing their good deeds purely for the pleasure of Allah Maybe they want to look good in front of others or they want to show off their wealth when giving in charity. So. Although asabiqun strive to do as much good as they can, they don't announce their deeds on social media, for example, to collect likes or to receive any other type of recognition. It's possible that because of that, they are known only to Allah May Allah make us from amongst them, Ameen. Yeah. Now excluded from the category of the righteous are the hypocrites, those who did not truly believe, even though in the worldly life they lived amongst the believers. These people tried to find ways out of doing what Allah required of them and finding justifications for their disobedience. What's important for us to realize is that Allah does not allow us to be partial Muslims. He does not allow us to pick and choose which aspects of our lives we surrender to Him. He commands all the believers, even those who believe in the previous scriptures, to enter into Islam completely without any reservations. uh, In Surah Baqarah verse 208, So anyone in whose heart there is doubt, or who prefers their own desires over what Allah commands, will be excluded from the group of the righteous. On the Day of Judgment, true believers will have light emanating from their hearts and their right hands, guiding them and lighting their way to Jannah. In the darkness and the confusion of the Day of Judgment, the hypocrites will beg the believers to share their light, but their pleas will be rejected. They didn't earn any light during their lives in this world, or maybe they wasted their light through acts of disobedience, and so on the Day of Judgment there won't be any way for them to get it. In addition to that, a wall will come between the two groups. The true believers will be on one side, on the side where there is mercy and jannah, and the hypocrites will be on the other side where there is punishment and hellfire. Now, what is most striking about the scene that's described in Surah Hadid is that the hypocrites will not understand why they're being separated. They will call out to the believers, weren't we with you? Meaning, weren't we part of the same community, the same family? We prayed together, we fasted together, and performed all the other ibadat together. So why aren't we with you on the other side of this wall? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from being amongst them. So this is why we must regularly do muhasabah, checking our intentions, and in general, our internal state. This is something that Islam puts a great deal of emphasis on. So what is our personal responsibility? What are the things that we need to avoid if we don't want to be in that group? Surah Hadid mentions several causes for which the hypocrites will be punished. First of all, they did not avoid temptations. They didn't avoid the gray areas. As we know from uh, the hadith mentioned by Imam al-Nabawi, halal is uh, clear and haram is clear. And between them are doubtful matters. So whoever stays away from those doubtful matters has protected his religion and his honor. But whoever falls into the doubtful matters, he has fallen into haram. So the lesson is stay away from the grey areas and definitely stop doing haram immediately without putting it off. Because putting off things is actually something that the hypocrites were known to do. They would wait to see which course of action would be most beneficial to them in this world and then they would follow that regardless of what was commanded. So when this quality is described, it's a warning to us to not be like them. We should follow the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without hesitation, without seeing if it's the right move from a worldly perspective. And what comes to mind right away is the excess and the deviant practices that are present in many of our wedding ceremonies, and the excuses that are made in justification. Also, we should not allow doubt to enter our hearts. It's important to think critically, but left unchecked, doubt can be a disease. Imam al-Ghazali lived during a very confusing time when there were many different Muslim sects and some of them had serious flaws in their aqidah. After he deeply studied all these different ideas, he wrote that one may doubt anything except the oneness of God, that Muhammad was sent as a messenger, and that the day of judgment will certainly come. This is because these are the central beliefs that are the anchor that keep us from getting lost in a confusing sea of conflicting ideas. It is doubt regarding these beliefs that damage the iman of a hypocrite and so we should definitely make sure that we do not have any doubts with regards to these. Finally, our commitment to the truth should be such that we do not allow our desires to control us and we remain on our guard against being deceived by Shaytan who will try to deceive us with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our true protector. So, in addition to avoiding the above-mentioned qualities, we should strive hard to adopt the qualities that the believers should have uh, that that will lead them to success in the hereafter. The first, of course, is to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger and to guard this belief against any doubts. The second is that, they should fear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment so that it prevents them from disobeying him a believer is supposed to be between the states of fear and hope so fear prevents us from disobedience and hope encourages us to keep striving for jannah and to repent to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we make mistakes the believers also consistently make dua they call upon allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they maintain a connection with him and the more that this connection is nurtured, the further a person is distanced from sinning. The believers spend their wealth in the path of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. They remember that everything, not just their wealth, but also they themselves belong to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this removes greed and attachment to worldly things and leaves their hearts open for the love of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. They also avoid the bigger sins, the kabair. But because of the weakness of their human nature, sometimes they commit the smaller sins. The important thing though, is that they remember to ask for forgiveness afterwards, and they don't intentionally persist in the sin, or make justifications or excuses. As a result of all of this, Allah will give them nur, which will guide them through this life. This is a taste of the nur that they will have on the Day of Judgment, that will guide them to Jannah. The nur that they have in this dunya, will help them avoid Shaitan's traps. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all this nur. Ameen. Alhamdulillah, that concludes the 27th juz. I hope you enjoyed listening to the explanation and I hope that it was of benefit to you. Uh, inshaAllah the final three ajza will be done by Sister Hina Sayed from Dallas, Texas. Uh, she is also the person that we began this journey with. Sister Hina is a member of Iqna uh, Central Shura. And she is also the in charge of the Central Outreach Department. She's completed al Quran Studies with Ikna and is currently working on her Bachelor's in Islamic Studies. She's also a mother of four, mashallah. May Allah reward her for her time and efforts. And may He open our hearts to the truth and forgive us for our shortcomings. May He purify our intentions and help us improve our ibadat. Amin. Subhanakallahumma nashhhadu la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Assalamu alaikum.